All right, here we are. Exodus chapter 31. There are two sections here. We're going to hear about some craftsmanship. We're going to hear about the Sabbath. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed him Aholiab, the son of Ashamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. So here we have in a very succinct list um, all of the um, all of the uh, really all of the ingredients all of the contents uh, of the tabernacle and the tabernacle itself all of that that we've been talking about for the last several weeks and uh, again if you um, uh, if you want a quick summary just uh, uh, last uh, last time um, I had uh, shown a couple of videos and if you go to the um, to the actual podcast site which we talked about before uh, you can uh, click on the links to those videos and um, and see everything that we've covered in the past several weeks in about five minutes so it's a it's a very efficient way uh, to do some catching up let's look at these first few verses especially um, we hear a lot about this guy, Bezalel, the son of Uri. Uh, as one commentator said, he is so gifted, he is the ideal combination of theoretical knowledge, problem-solving practicality, and planning capability who can bring artistic ideals to life with his own hands. Uh, a great, a great um, summary there. I want to break down some of the things that the Lord tells Moses about Bezalel. So look in verse 2. It says, See, I have called him by name. I have called him by name. So what does that mean when, when the Lord says, I have called him? What does that mean? God has put his hand on Bezalel and I said I've got some things for him to do and as you say I've empowered him to do it it says I've I've called him by name I'll talk a little bit about this off and on and and whichever one of us talks about some of these other uh, little nuggets in these later chapters, but this is a great 
example where God calls somebody. We've already seen some examples where God has called someone. Who would that be? Who? Who? Oh, Billy Graham? I'm not aware of the circumstance about Billy Graham's calling, but I'll take your word for it. Moses. Moses? Moses should have been like your first answer, right? We are in Exodus. There was this whole, you may have heard of this whole burning bush thing. It was kind of a big deal back then. Uh, so, so yes, God does call. Any, any other examples where God is specifically, without a doubt, called this person? Abram? Who? Noah? John the Baptist? Okay. Elijah? Elijah? Joshua. Joshua. I guess Jonah could have been called. Paul. <laughs> Paul. I was uh, very dramatic. Gideon. Gideon. The disciples. Who? David. So we've hit what? 15, 20, 30 examples where God specifically has called someone particular task. Anyone say Mary? I think she counts, right? Yeah. Elizabeth? I think she counts. Gideon. Somebody said Gideon, yeah. Brother Bobby. Brother Bobby. All right, so that's a good transition. So mom says, well, Brother Bobby got called. He did get called by this church. I haven't heard how his uh, full story about how, how he started the ministry. But it does bring to mind a question. So we know, without a doubt, God does call people to special tasks. It says here, called by name. Paul, called by name, struck down, dramatic. The question here is, is that what God typically does? We have a no, we have another no. I don't think scripture teaches that's what God typically does. He, he typically doesn't strike people down like he did Paul or light up a bush like he did Moses. That's not typically what's done. An angel that appeared to Joseph and to Mary, that's not how God typically works. Has he worked that way in scripture? Absolutely. I don't know, maybe so, there's some trivia buffs. It, it, does anybody have a number of how many people have their names in the Bible? So you can work on that this week. <laughs> I'm, guessing it's, I'm guessing it's thousands of names, right? I, I, it's just guessing. I'm guessing it's a few thousand names. Okay, I'll get to that. <laughs> I think parenthetically I'll come back to what Merritt says she says I think God does call all of us yeah. so I'll come back to that you know rule number one the wife is usually right <laughs> so Wait on him and listen with our heart 
So rule number two, the class is usually right. We'll get to that. I think what everyone's hitting on is it kind of depends on what you mean by call, right? Like all good answers, it depends is a great way to start. So we know God does call. We know sometimes it's very dramatically with special anointing, with special empowerment. But for these sorts of life tasks, you were doing this one and God grabs you and says, you're now doing this. I don't think that's typical. I don't think that's the normative way that we are, to use a phrase, led by him. At least it hasn't been in my life. And I actually waited a long time to get such direction when I was younger. I think you'll get an idea of what he does more often um, as, we, as we go along. But certainly in this, it's called. In case I don't clean up the point later. Larry? I, I think one way that God calls us is by the gift that he gives us. Rule number three, again, the class is usually right. <laughs> So Merritt made a, a great point. I think God does call all of us. What's the, what's the absolute irrefutable example of that? The great commission. What? Okay, hadn't thought about that one. But before the Great Commission, salvation. we're called to salvation, right? It's by grace we are saved. And that is just something that we have on our own. No, it's not of ourselves. It's a gift, right? So, yes, God, God calls us. And, you know, we've, we've gone into the whole providential thing. We've, we've covered that well before. But, yes, God calls us to salvation. To your point, does God equip us? Yes, and we'll talk about that a little bit as well. But I think it's noteworthy that of the thousands of people that are in the Bible, and of course, you know, I don't want to stretch the point too far, but it's a pretty small minority. Even the, you know, even if you were important enough to get your name in the Bible, that's kind of a big deal. But even then, many of the people we don't hear about a divine hand on them. So just think about that. Think about that. All right, point. Number two, it says, I've called him. And then verse three, it says what? I have filled him with the Spirit of God. I've filled him with the Spirit. Now, we are pretty familiar on this side of the cross, on this side of Pentecost specifically, with this concept of being filled with the Spirit. This is not common terminology up to this point in the Bible. Another trivia question, which I didn't know, I learned in my study. Up until this point in the Bible, there's only been one other person that was said to have been filled with the Spirit of God. Do you know who that is? No, but that's an excellent guess. Who? No. Abraham. Nope. Just tell. 
Joseph. Joseph is the only one um, that has, uh, that up until this point, and I'll give you the reference uh, if I didn't, oh yeah, here we go. Um, In Genesis 41, um, Pharaoh says of Joseph that he was filled with the Spirit of God. And even if you're, you know, maybe Pharaoh wasn't the best judge, but that's the only person where it was, where it was spoken of. So it was filled with the Spirit of God. Um, so now we have this, you know, at least one and two if you count Joseph, and there will be more later, uh, people who, who were filled with the, the Spirit of God, and especially for this particular task. What was he given? He was given ability, intelligence, was given knowledge, and all craftsmanship. So collectively, what is this? He's been called, he's been filled with the Spirit of God, and he has been equipped with everything he's going to need to accomplish the task that has been set before him, which is kind of a big deal. Moses just had to copy down the plans, right? He just had to get that right. Bezalel has got to make it happen. This is the ultimate project management. Not only does he have to take the spoken word and translate it into something physical, he's got to teach all these people what to do. It talks about that in when we hear about the execution of the plans, if you go to Exodus 35, verse 30, we, this is some of this repetition we talked about. As God, in the earlier chapters, receives the instruction from, I'm sorry, as Moses receives the instruction from God, and here we have Moses translating that to the people, Chapter 35, verse 30. Then Moses said to the people, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel. Verse 31. He has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship, and so forth. And verse 34, something we didn't learn before. And he has inspired him to teach. So Bezalel, fully equipped, not only to do everything, but to teach everyone under him that is going to, to be in the project. Aholiab, the, one of the funner names to say in the Bible, Aholiab, just kind of a cool. Uh, so this is, the, this is the, the partner in this work, right? Everybody needs some help. And it says, uh, verse six, I've, I've appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, I guess, of the tribe of Dan. So we have the two, like the leader, the sub-leader, and then latter part of verse 6, and I've given to all able men ability that they may make what I've commanded you. So here are these uh, all able men that I've given the ability. In verse 36, I'm sorry, in chapter 36, of Exodus, again as we go back and forth, 
verse 2, I think we have a little bit of this flavor of kind of how God works. So we have this full-on God calling you by name to the work, specially equipping with the Spirit of God. And then it goes on down to the assistant. And now we're we're heading to verse 2. Verse 1, though, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Verse 2, And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, and here's the phrase, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. So, in these able-bodied men, as it speaks of, they may not have been called by name, but God stirred up within them the desire to be part of this project. That starts to sound more familiar. God's every craftsman, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. Now, a little parenthesis. There are two ways that the courtyard, the curtains, the tabernacle, the furnishings, the utensils, there are two ways those could have come into being. What are the two ways those things could have come into being? One was God could have snapped his finger. God could have snapped his fingers, God could have thought about it, and it would have appeared, right? So what would have been cool about that? A clear miracle, a big deal. What else? It would have been perfect. (laughs) Would have been less work. What's the other way? They did the work, right? God designed it, selected the leadership, empowered the leadership to teach, had able-bodied men to participate, had participation, if you think about it, we'll come across later. Um, Most of the ingredients for furnishing this, they had been carrying around with them from their plunder from Egypt. So it's possible they all had a little piece in their pocket that got donated, right? So with that way, what are some advantages of doing it like that? Ownership. They get skin in the game. What else? It increases God's glory. Increases God's glory. Why is that, Ken? Because he's using imperfect tools. Because <laughs> he's using imperfect tools. Julie? They have the blessing of giving to them. I love, I, I, I love that. That's well put. And I like Ken's as well because what's harder? To do something or to teach someone who knows nothing how to do it? Don? <laughs> yeah. <What? laughs> it's actually easier to teach somebody who doesn't know anything 
than someone who thinks they know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so true. I hear I, I hear uh, amens all over. June. So this work that they were being asked to do was not in their comfort zone, right? It wasn't something they were already good at. This was, yeah, yeah. There was there were there any bricks in the in the tabernacle? I don't think so, right? Um, so excellent, excellent points all. Any any other um, any other examples of why this is a good method? skill but bestowed six seven thousand years ago my math's probably a little off uh, is still uh, an identifying trait for for God's people final thing which I think everybody's kind of hinted at several times we've encountered that one of the purposes of this transition journey between Egypt and the promised land was to create a unified people as was said you know they've got ownership Um, collectively they've come together and you could say for generations the story was probably told hey you know your great granddad you see that corner of the tabernacle you know that was he was all about that you know or um you know i remember you know my great grandmother telling me how you know she carried that ruby all the way from egypt and it got donated i mean just you know i i it 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 helped to unify them as a people and to Ken's point, God still gets the glory. All right, wow, you guys are great. Uh, let's look briefly at this next section, beginning in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you, and everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. 
Whoever does any work on it, that shoal shall, shall be cut out from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout the generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. The Sabbath. When this section, you know, as we first started hearing about the tabernacle, um, we hear about the Sabbath. When God first starts to speak to them to give the law and what we now call the Ten Commandments, of course, the Sabbath is, is there. We've, we've touched on it several times. So it bookends all of the teaching that God is, is giving to Moses. Um, so let's look, as we have before, at the Sabbath. It says it's a sign between me and you. So it's indicative of the covenant that was between the two of them. Um, it, you know, covenants are, are kind of a two-way deal. You know, they, by keeping the Sabbath, they are being invited into relationship with God. The presence of the tabernacle or the creation of the tabernacle was to indicate God's presence of within and, and, and among the people. It says that you may know that I sanctify you. What does that say? First of all, it, it gives a message you need sanctifying. And secondly, it clearly indicates who does the sanctifying. God does the sanctifying. It says it's holy for you. That tells you some things are holy, some things are not holy. There's a, there's a difference there. Um, you know, there's a, there's a place for shades of gray. There's a place for black and white. There are things that are holy. There are things that are not holy. This is a reminder. Some things were dedicated to God, set apart. It also, I think, is an indicator that, you know, God can take something that isn't holy and make it holy. The whole sanctification process, you know, they took all this stuff that was worked by human hands, God did, and deemed it holy. And then the Sabbath is brought back again to creation. It's a sign. The Lord made heaven and earth. It's a reminder that He's a creator. He's above all as creator. Every time when we question, you know, and that phrase just rang in my mind, who are you? Right? Who are you? We're the creator. That's who we are. All the things that the Sabbath does for us. Um, two quick summary items. One, I'm going to read a 
because this was uh, from a commentary, I thought put it especially well. It says, to put it another way, the tabernacle is a holy space. The Sabbath, by contrast, is holy time. By building the tabernacle and setting apart one day in seven, God is truly recreating heaven in space and time. Weekly Sabbath worship is on holy ground in holy time. There is no more holy spot on the face of the earth than the tabernacle on the Sabbath. We can see how important the tabernacle and later the temple was to Israel's identity as God's people. And we can also see how utterly devastating the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians was. By entering the tabernacle, Israel entered God's house. By keeping the Sabbath, Israel entered God's rest. And ultimately, that's what we're, you know, we've talked about tabernacle being a reflection of the true thing in heaven. That's ultimately what we're all hoping for, right? Uh, to be able to enter in to God's house and to God's rest. And um, I, I think that's excellent. Uh, ran out of time because you guys uh, are so amazing. But I can't study a section like this without it calling to mind several passages which you can dwell on. One is, we, we kind of talked about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I love Ephesians 10 where it says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared by hand that we should walk in them. So he's a creator, as it says here. We're a product of that. We're his workmanship created to be workmen, right? It's like, you know, Don trying to teach somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. He's going to show them how to do it. The tasks for us to do already exist. They have already existed before we were ever born. Like Bezalel, do you think God will adequately empower us to do those tasks? If he thought enough to create the tasks ahead of time, do you think he thought to include our ability to do it? Or do you think he forgot that? No. He didn't forget that. Romans 12, verse 4. We have different gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. 1 Corinthians 12. The same Spirit, varieties of service, the same Lord. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We have all been gifted. It's another debate for another time as to how God leads us. What does it mean to be called? That's a whole other thing. But we can take confidence in that we have tasks. They're appointed tasks for us. And that we should walk with them. And I, I think I've said before, I think God, God doesn't make us veer out of the way to go do some task. I think he's good enough, God, to bring the task right in front of me being as fallible as I am, knowing I pretty much have to trip over it. Right? That task is ahead of me. We better quit. I think that gets to the stirring of the heart. I've always, I've had a little problem with the testimony where, you know, 
God twisted somebody's arm really bad. That always sounded strange to me. I'm not disputing anybody's testimony, but it, it certainly wasn't the way that he's normatively worked with me. Sounds like we got you thinking. Let's close. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Father, I'm counting on your Holy Spirit to apply your word to each of us and get me out of the mix. Thanks for getting us thinking. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen. amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.